So change, change. How many of you like change? I actually do like change. I just don't like changing my whole life. There we go. Beautiful. Uh, usually we want micro change. Many of us focus on ourselves, right? So we want to we wanna look thinner, uh, look more buff. We want to have a six pack, not of beer, but somewhere around here, or at least a four pack or some resemblance, a shadow. We want something, right? We, wanna, we want a better me. Uh, some of us want to change our relationships. We, we are single. We want to be married or we want to be dating. Uh, we're married. We want to have children. Um, we, we want to have friends. We, we wish we had different neighbors, right? We all want to change something about our relationships. We, we want some sort of change in work. I rarely meet people who say, I am 100% completely satisfied with my work. I'm like, could you be paid more? They're like, oh, of course. Okay, so you'd love to change that. Yes. All right, so you'd love change. Living, right? Changing location is glamorous until you actually do it. In the middle of the, the moving week, it's not glamorous. In the middle of signing, not glamorous at all. But many of us want to live in a different place. Many of us want to change. We want more adventure. We feel like our life is boring or our life is too adventurous. So we want a little more boring. Some of us are horrible with money. We're in incredible amounts of debt. And we wish that we could change that. Or we wish we actually uh, had money to be able to do something with. We long for change, we all do, and, and that's not a bad thing necessarily. Most of our change, though, is aimed at being the best me. Be the best me. Be the best me. And the search for the best me is honestly destroying many of us. Inside of the church and outside of the church. Christian and non-Christian. It seems like we're, we're, we're going the same speed. We're going this, the same route. Here's what the search for change is leading to uh, burnout. Uh, we've had people share stories of burnout. Uh, depression. I'm not talking about clinical depression. I am talking about uh, the fact that, that you're just so depressed all the time because of certain things that are going on. Your pursuit is leading to binging. Binge watching Netflix every opportunity you have is not healthy. I'm just saying that, right? Anytime you're binging anything, that's not a sign of health. Right? I'm not going to tell my kids, like, wow, that is what you want to be like when you grow up. We, we all do it because shows are very addictive in a sense. But when you use all your free time to binge anything, like, that's not a sign of health. Our pursuit leads to stress. Some stress is good, but, but being stressed out, not being able to sleep, waking up early, waking up in the middle of the night. And, and, and some of our pursuit for change is actually leading to suicide because we realize that I can't get the change that I actually want. Most often, though, our pursuit of change leads to this. How are you doing? Busy. That's not how you're doing, though. That's what you're doing. And, and in fact, we're all busy. So we could all say that. Uh, met someone this week. I said, hey, how are you doing? She's like, busy like always. Okay, that sounds horrible to me, right? But I, I know what she's talking about. That she's being busy pursuing whatever change she is going after and she's never quite landing there. So she's busy continually trying to get there. And that's all of us in a sense. It's all of us in a sense. So we all long for change. And then we have Jesus. Jesus. The next slide will say Jesus. I'm predicting that. It will. Because I made them. Uh, there we go. So Jesus came to bring change. 
So the title of the sermon this morning out of the book of Hebrews is, I like Jesus, but don't want to change. Because Jesus came to bring change as well. And he met people and there were two responses about Jesus. He would meet people and he would talk to them and they would not see Jesus' change as good news. So there's a story of a guy called the rich young ruler. He had a lot of possessions. He had a lot of authority. And Jesus said, uh, go sell all your possessions, give them to the poor and come follow me. That's not good news to this man because he found his identity in life in his stuff and in the authority and power that he had. Jesus was calling him to lay it down because it was actually getting in the way of following him. So this man didn't see that as good news. But to other people that Jesus engaged with, it was very good news. There was a woman who was caught in adultery, caught in the act of adultery. She could have been stoned. They bring her to Jesus. Jesus says, the one who has no sin, go ahead and throw the first stone. Jesus was the only one there who hadn't sinned. We'll talk about that in a little bit. Everyone leaves. Jesus doesn't get up and say, finally, I wanted to stone you myself and throw it. No, he says, where did everyone go? They all left. Well, I don't condemn you either. Go and sin no more. That was good news for her. There was a man who was filled with demons one day. He would scrape himself, scream in graveyards. Jesus came to him. He released the man from all the demons. He was sitting clothed in his right mind. That was good news for this demoniac. For the weary Many of you are probably just feeling like weary and tired and barely keeping your eyelids open. That's for you who are closing your eyelids, all right, already, right? You come in weary, tired. Listen to what Jesus has to say in Matthew 11. Matthew 11, 28 to 30. Jordan, I'm gonna need your help. Right. I don't know what to do in the pause, like a little dance. I don't, I don't know. Uh, Matthew eleven twenty to 30. I guess I'll open my Bible and read that because I have one of these. Matthew eleven twenty to 30 says this. That's Mark 11. It's not helpful. That was not appropriate for what we were talking about at all. Um, all right, Jesus says, come to me, all who labor, and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. You will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Come to me, you're weary. If you're weary, Jesus is saying, come to me. I want, I want to make you less weary. I want to give you rest for your soul. You see, the change that Jesus was bringing is the one that we desire. Deep down, we all want what Jesus is saying. We want soul rest. We want to be in a place that the Bible talks about shalom, this holistic peace. Not like stoner peace, like it's all good, man, but like peace where it's good emotionally, relationally, in our souls, with God, with, with others. This, this shalom that Jesus was bringing. And in fact, this is what God has always offered. The change that Jesus was bringing wasn't a new change. The change that Jesus was bringing was what God always offered, was soul rest. And the change that Jesus was bringing is the one that was rejected often and is still rejected often today. So today, today, the question is, do you want the change that Jesus is offering to you? 
Do you want the change Jesus is offering to you? Some of you have been following Jesus. Some of you have never followed Jesus. And what Jesus offers to both today is exactly the same. So let me read from Hebrews 3, 7. This is our text. It says, therefore, as the Holy Spirit says today, if you hear his voice, if you hear God's voice today, it's going to be a voice that's calling you to rest. I'm giving away the main point right at the beginning. It's going to be a call to rest. If you're hearing a voice that says, work harder, do more, do more stuff, be more busy, it's not the voice of God. So today, if you hear his voice, and we're going to be looking at the Bible, the word of God, and here's why we look at the word of God. Because Hebrews 4.12 says this, it's on the next slide. For the word of God is living and active. This means this is alive. Crazy. Alive and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. It pierces to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and of marrow. It gets where surgeons can't get. And discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. So if God is speaking to your heart today, let him speak. If you're hearing his voice today, listen to it. Be willing to obey it. And you might be here and say, I don't believe in God. Be willing to obey a voice that maybe you hear for the first time that's calling you to do and be something you've never thought about being before. So this is where we're going this morning. So Hebrews, the book of Hebrews. Uh, Brian did a fantastic job explaining the whole Bible last week. Hebrews, the author we, we know is unknown. Uh, the, the audience that this was being written to, this letter was written to, were Jewish Christians. So Jewish, they had been uh, born into that family, had been following Yahweh and looking for the Messiah that was to come, that the Old Testament was talking about would come. And then Jesus comes and he's the Messiah. So these are the Jewish people who have said, our Messiah has come. Many Jewish people today are still waiting for the Messiah. They don't believe that Jesus was that Messiah. So it's written to Jewish Christians. They were familiar with the Old Testament. The Bible's broken up into Old Testament before Jesus and New Testament after Jesus, all right? And the Bible is, the Bible and the book of Hebrews highlights Jesus as the hero, as supreme over everything. So let me get into the text today, all right? Here's the scene. Let me, let me lay it out for us. The scene that, that this text is actually gonna talk about, uh, it's in Egypt, Okay, they're talking about, about a people that were in Egypt, the Hebrew people, the people of God. They were slaves in the land of Egypt for 400 plus years, okay? God brings them good news. God brings them good news. He says, I'm gonna rescue you. I've heard your cries. I'm gonna rescue you and I'm gonna bring you out and give you rest. Listen to this text. It's from the book of Exodus, Exodus 6, verses five to eight. This is God speaking. Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the people of Israel, whom the Egyptians hold as slaves, and I have remembered my covenant. Say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord. I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will deliver you from slavery to them. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. And I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God. You shall know that I am the Lord your God who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will bring you into the land that I swore to give to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob. I will give it to you for a possession. I am 
the Lord. God is saying, I'm going to rescue you out, bring you rest. And what do you have to do? You just have to take this gift. You just have to receive it. That's it. It seems too good to be true. If someone says, I'm just going to give this to you, like no strings attached. You always know there's strings attached. I'm going to owe you a favor later, or you're going to require something of me later. But this isn't what God was doing. But look at their response. In Exodus chapter 6, verse 9, Moses spoke thus to the people of Israel, but they did not listen to Moses. Why? Because of their broken spirit and harsh slavery. They couldn't hear the good news that was being spoken to them because of their circumstances that they were in. The broken spirits, if you've ever experienced this where you've just been broken, like really broken, you don't know how you're gonna make it to the next day. You think that a promise like this is a mirage that's being set up, right? It's something in the distance that isn't actually real. It's just more sand once you get there. It looks like water, but it's not true. This is like a, a bait and switch, right? No, 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 seriously, there's rest out here. Just come and do what I want. I'm God, I wanna manipulate you. I just wanna use you. I don't actually wanna give you rest. I wanna use you as pawns because I'm not powerful enough to do something. So I need you, little weak Hebrew people, to come out and do this, right? Broken spirits can never see the glass half full. They can never be optimistic because they can only see their broken spirits, They see their circumstances as clouds in the way of something that may or may not be there, but probably isn't there. Movie inside out, this is sadness all the time. You can't see joy. You can't see something good that could happen. But despite the fact that they didn't believe God, God pursues these slaves anyway. And he comes and he brings them out powerfully, out of slavery. He frees them. He frees them. The Ten Commandments thing, Brian talked about it last week. The Ten Commandments were given to a free people. They're really, really free. They're no longer slaves. But what do they do when they're out in the wilderness? They rebel constantly. They're constant rebels. They do what they're not supposed to do all the time. This is their life in the wilderness. And the problem isn't behaviors primarily. The problem God identifies in our text today was the heart. It was the heart. All issues in your life begin in your heart. Your heart is a motivational factory where everything comes from. Every decision you make begins in your heart. The heart is not like the nice emotional rom-com place. The heart is the place where all your desires are formed. The bowels of who you are, the real depths, not the, the bowels we talk about, like potty humor, but the bowels of who you really are, where everything comes from, is your heart. God is saying your hearts are broken. Your hearts are what's wrong. Your hearts are what leads you to do what's wrong constantly. Hebrews 3, 8 through 9 says this. Do not harden. Remember just before it says, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. On the day of testing in the wilderness where your fathers put me to the test, saw my works for 40 years. They spent 40 years out in the wilderness roaming and wandering around because of their rebellion. 
Therefore, God says, I was provoked with that generation and said, they always go astray in their hearts. They have not known my ways. They were out in the wilderness. God freed them. They got to see crazy miracles happen. They got to see God release them from the most powerful empire in the world at that time. God opens up the Red Sea for all of them to walk by. Like my, my kids are very tactile like most kids. So whenever they walk by something, they, they put their hands across. And I'm just imagining every Hebrew parent being like, stop touching the water, right? Because they're going by, just touching the water on their way by. You'll, you'll bring the water down on us. I, I, don't, I don't know. But they got to see God rescue them. They got to see God speak to Moses. They got to see incredible things happen. But miracles aren't enough to convince our hearts to change. Some of you seek God for what he can do for you. But even if he does that thing, it doesn't mean your heart's going to change. Some of you want to see more miracles happen. Me too. That'd be great. But it doesn't mean that your heart or the hearts of the people who see that are going to change. In fact, it said that Pharaoh, the leader of Egypt, his heart hardened when he saw the miracles of God. problem was the heart. And their hearts were so twisted and convoluted that they actually wanted their freedom reversed. They wanted their freedom reversed. You seen the Shawshank Redemption? Yes? Amazing movie. Absolutely amazing. I forget the old man uh, who was in jail, right? He gets out, he goes, uh, works as, as a bagger, right, in the grocery store. But he's so old He has arthritis in his hands. He can't move fast enough. And what does he do? He goes home and he hangs himself. Because redemption being freed, he had served his time. He had redeemed himself in a sense, right? Served his time. He couldn't live in redemption. He didn't know what to do with the freedom he was given. He didn't fit with the world anymore. And so he went and killed himself. The Israelites are freed. They had never known freedom before. They had only known things like kill your firstborn son so that you don't keep procreating as crazy as you are. They had only known slavery. Now they're free. And they're angry. They are angry against God. They say, take us back to Egypt because at least we die with full bellies. They wanted redemption reversed because of a situation with water where they were thirsty. Psalm 95, Psalm 95 says this. I'm gonna need your help again, Jordan. There we go. Uh, Hebrews is actually quoting this Psalm, all right? It says, for he is our God. We are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Here it is. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts, but the writer of Psalms actually gets descriptive. As at Meribah, as on the day at Massa in the wilderness. This is when the people of God wanted water. And they said, man, why did we come out here to die of thirst? We, we could have been, had water. We could have had beer. We could have had whatever. Back in Egypt. Lord, why did you bring us out here to die? And more specifically, Moses, you're our leader. Why did you bring us out here to die? It was over water. Then they had the opportunity to finally go into the promised land. And look at this narrative in Numbers. Numbers 13 verses 1 and 2 says, The Lord spoke to Moses saying, 
Send men to spy out the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the people of Israel. From each tribe of their fathers, you shall send a man, everyone a chief among them. So they're going to send these spies into this land to make sure it's actually okay for them to go in and conquer the land at this point. Then the next slide, Numbers 13, 30, and 31. Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, Let us go at once and occupy it, for we are well able to overcome it. Caleb is confident. As an 80-year-old man, Caleb gets to take a mountain. That's a whole other story. I don't have time for that. All right, verse 31. Then the men, uh, no, go back. There you go. Uh, Then the men who had gone up with him said, we are not able to go up against the people for they are stronger than we are. So we have Caleb and Joshua, two of the spies saying, let's go, we can take these people. They're giants, but big deal. God just brought us out of this place. And you have these 10 other wimps who are saying like, no, they're giants. Let's just stay here and all huddle up and die together. And maybe we can eat one another. It is weird, weird. Numbers 14 says this. Then all the congregation raised a loud cry and the people wept that night. All the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The whole congregation said to them, would that we had died in the land of Egypt. Or would that we had died in this wilderness? Next slide. Why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? Our wives and our little ones will become a prey. Would it not be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to one another, let us choose a leader and go back to Egypt. This is why democracies don't work. All right? Because things are going well. Moses is leading them exactly where God wants them to go. And everyone's like, you know what? Let's just vote this guy out. Right? Elections are coming up. Let's just vote this guy out. Get a, better, get a better person to lead us that'll take us back to slavery. Who thinks that's a good idea? Right? Water and giants kept them from going into the promised land. They were rebels. Their hearts were rebellious. Their hearts sought the familiar in slavery. Right? Have you ever been there where you see that there's something better out there, but it's going to cost you something to get there? Let, not a lot, like a little effort. You're like, ah, you know what? I'm more familiar with this. I'll just stay in this position, stay with this amount of pay, stay in this neighborhood, stay in this place. It's just so much easier to just stay and hunker down and be comfortable. But God is saying the promised land is there, a place of rest. And you say, yeah, but giants, and, and we're not sure if I'll have enough water to get there. Our hearts easily will go back to slavery. We'll go back to things that we know aren't good for us because they're familiar. But these things are actually leading us away from the rest that God is pursuing uh, to give us. Hebrews 3.11, we're back in our text. God says, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. God didn't let that generation enter the promised land. He let them all die in the wilderness and their kids got to be the ones to go in and inherit the land behind Caleb and Joshua, the two spies that believed that God could help them overcome. You see, rebels can't find rest. When you're rebelling, is it easy to rest? If you just ran a red light, okay, happens once in a while, all right? Run a red light immediately, what do you do? I'm talking about in a car. Some of you are like, I wouldn't run through a red light. Right? Some of us drive, all right? So like you're running a red light in a car immediately, like I'm looking in the rear view mirror, I'm looking and I'm like, oh good, right? Because I can't find rest until I know that I've gotten away with it, right? Rebels can't find rest though. You don't, you don't make it through that red light, you make it to another light that's turning yellow, wondering if you can make it through. 
And that's a funny analogy, but, but that's our life. That when we, when we do things wrong, when we rebel, we, we can't find rest. Kids who are guilty can't find rest. Rebels can't find rest. But here's the good news. Here's the good news. Is that rest, the rest that God promised to this people is still available to us today. In Hebrews 4, 1 and 2, it says, therefore, while the promise of entering the rest still stands, okay, we're not actually entering into a land per se, but the idea of entering a rest still stands. Let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. Rest is still available. God is still offering rest to his people today. In fact, God planned rest before creation. You have to hear that. God's plan was rest for his people before he created anything. God doesn't get to things like us and like last minute scheme and try and figure out how this is going to work out. Before the foundation of the world, God planned out rest for his people. The work is already done. The author of Hebrews says it in verse three and four. Oh man, there we go. For we who have believed, for we who have believed God, we enter that rest. As he has said, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Although his works were finished from the foundation of the world. There it is. His work is already done. His plan for rest is already done. We're entering into the plan he's already set in motion. Verse four, it says this. All right, four, he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way. God rested on the seventh day from all of his works. That God made us to rest inside of his rest. Many of us, when we think of God, we think about a, a being who requires a whole list of things for us to do. And if we can work hard enough and sleep little, and if we can show up to all the right events and not go to the bad events, then maybe he'll approve of us one day. But God says, no, I made you to rest. I rested on the seventh day and I'm, I'm inviting you to enter my rest. That God created a Sabbath day, but because of Jesus, there's now a Sabbath rest. Our life is a Sabbath. Our life is a Sabbath. Our life is a rest. And not like bed rest. Not like beer, Netflix, nachos, and naps. Not that kind of rest. But the soul rest that we long for. Where we don't need to freak out because nothing is going right on the Sunday morning. I used to freak out. Lights didn't work. I'm like, I'm losing my mind. Sound didn't work. This morning I came in. It's like, nothing's going well. I'm like, oh, Okay. My soul, that's not normal, by the way. Like, my soul is just so at rest. It's so at rest that if everything else goes wrong, like, I have no control over that. We have no control over it. My soul is at, at peace. This is the peace that he offers to us. But the rest that God offered to his creation, we rejected. You want to know the status of our hearts? Super encouraging verse in the book of Jeremiah. It says, the heart is deceitful above all things. It's like, you think about the most deceitful thing. It's like, oh, no, my heart. There it is. And desperately sick. Who can understand it? Many of us think we understand ourselves. You don't understand yourself. Many of you think you're self-aware. You're not self-aware. Many of you think, 
that your heart's not deceitful. Mm, you're deceiving yourself. This is the status of our heart. God says, enter my rest, and our heart is wicked. Our hearts go astray, away from the rest that God offers. And we live lives wandering. The people of Israel wandered in the desert for 40 years, and we spend our lives wandering, searching, looking for the change that's finally going to bring us life, but we don't find it. We can't find it. And it's because we seek for things on the surface. Having rock-hard abs is not going to change your soul. It's not. Having a less receding hairline is not going to change your soul. Being able to grow a beard or having a beard grow every time you shave, it's not going to save your soul. We, we look, we look on the outward. But God is interested in the, in the inside. You see, God wants to change our hearts. The change has to happen at, at the root level where you can't see You don't know how healthy the soil really is. You don't know how healthy the roots are, but that's where God wants to work. So someone has to come for us to change and have this rest. Someone must come and actually change us at the root level. In the book of Ezekiel in the Old Testament, it's looking forward to the day when this would happen. Listen to these verses. I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness and from all your idols, I will cleanse you. I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. You shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers. You shall be my my people and I will be your God. Someone needs to come and do heart work. The only one who can do this, the only one who can bring the change we're actually looking for is Jesus. That's it. He's the only one. He does this work. Jesus was sent to be the perfect Israel. Israel, the people of God, were like a son to God. Jesus is the son. He comes to be the perfect Israel. And Jesus came and took the rebellion of rebels like these people we read about and like you. Your sick and deceitful heart, Jesus took upon himself on the cross. He went to the cross not as a victim by accident. He went to be executed on purpose so that you don't have to be executed. So that before God, you don't have to experience eternal torment, eternal wrath, eternal separation. Jesus experienced all of that payment on the cross. Jesus, when he was in the garden of Gethsemane, just before he went, he was sweating drops of blood. And you say, oh, that's not possible. Read the medical uh, examination reports. Not on that. They didn't have it that day. But medical practitioners will say how it's possible to be under such duress that you can actually sweat drops of blood. Your blood vessels pop and come through your pores. It's, it's possible. Jesus is sweating drops of blood, not because he was going to go and die primarily, but because he was going to be under the full weight of the wrath of God against all sin of all humanity of all time. Jesus became the rebel on the cross. And he did that for us. He took the cup of wrath and he drank it on the cross. The rock that Moses struck in the wilderness was a picture of Jesus being struck 
by the Father as he hung on the cross, bearing the full weight of our sin. But Jesus cried out the same thing that, that God cried out as he finished his creation. It's finished. Jesus on the cross says, it's finished. Redemption is complete. Your people are now free to move about in, in your kingdom as your people in your family that Jesus did all of this work for us. That we're redeemed by the death and resurrection of Jesus, his finished work. And do you know what Jesus is going to change us to be like? Some of you want to be healthier and fitter and happier and more relational, less relational. Jesus is going to change you to be just like him. Do do you get that? Jesus is going to take you. Like you look in the mirror, you know what you struggle with. Jesus is going to take you and make you just like him. This is the end goal. In Hebrews 3, 14, it says this. Uh, Yeah, there we go. We have come to share in Christ. If indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end, we share in Christ. We're going to be just like Jesus. But this is something you must receive. You have to take it. It's out for the offering, but you have to take it. So how does this happen? Um, this week we mer- we we moved. Uh, we, we moved. All right. It's been a, a very wild week, and I've been thinking a lot about this whole idea of rest. How, in the midst of crazy life, can we find rest? So we moved from Dalad uh, Desamo in the West Island to NDG, and. Um, and very different, okay? Lots of kids moving everywhere in, in DDO. Not a lot of kids so far that we've seen on, on our street. That's okay. But here's, here's what this moving into, what God is offering could look like. As we have our moving truck all packed up in the van, and the kids all in the van, and we're driving away, piecing out, um, there's an orphan that lives in our neighborhood. Okay, this is an analogy, not a real orphan, okay? Um, there's an orphan that lives in our neighborhood. And, and he runs up and he says, where are you going? He said, oh, we're, we're moving. We're moving. And he said, well, I, I want to go with you. I, I have nowhere else to go. I, I've been trying to change my life here. I can't fit in. No one here wants me. No one's accepting me into, into their house. Um, I, I'm eating scraps that people are leaving out on Tuesday and Friday, trash days. Like, it's a horrible life. I'm trying to change myself, but it's not working. I've come to the end. I could say to that child, well, if you just get some clean clothes on, and if you look a little bit better, if you didn't smell as bad, uh, and if you were a little bit more reputable, then maybe I'd let you into our van, and we could bring you to our house. But here's what the invitation of God looks like. It's God getting, getting ready to move, and the orphan comes and says, I have no hope I've made a mess of my life. I, I actually killed my parents. I, I'm responsible for their death. I did this to myself. I can't figure life out. It's horrible. And I say, get in. And they say, what's it going to cost me? I say, oh, no, no, no. This isn't, this isn't costly for you. This is costly for me. You're going to radically change my family. 
Uh, you're going to be now my child. You're going to live in my house. You're going to be fed three times a day. You're going to be bathed and showered. You're going to have an inheritance in my family. I'm going to write you into the will right away. Uh, you're you're going to be my child. I'm pleased with you. Um, I, I am embracing you completely. All you have to do is get in this truck. All our stuff is your stuff. You can do nothing to add to this move. That's the rest that God is talking about. That God is inviting people with bad reputations, sick, deceitful hearts, busy trying to change ourselves, busy trying to save ourselves, people who who are willing, at least in our hearts, to kill our parents. He says, get in the truck. You're my son. You're my daughter. You have a new name. You're going to rest. It's like, but what can I do? What can I add to the move? Nothing. I'm going to pay all the bills. I'm setting up all the things. Like our kids, right? We're, we're literally moving. They did nothing. Absolutely nothing. Their question is, what are we having for supper? Like, I don't, I don't know, buddy. You know, like last detail. It's like, well, how, why don't you know what we're having for supper? Right? Doesn't this sound like the wilderness? Right? Let's just go back to Egypt so we can die. You know, at least there's pizza there. Right? I'm like, I'm going to order pizza. Stop losing your mind. Right? Like, it's going to be all right. But what they bring with them is rebellion. When we're offering our kids rest, you can just sit in the van and please be quiet. You could go to sleep if you wanted but you can rest. Mommy and daddy are doing all of the heavy lifting. This is what God invites us into. The work is acknowledging that I need that. That's the work. I need to be adopted. I need to get in the truck. I need to move out of my hell and perpetual hell to be brought into the family of God. And you enter rest. You enter rest. Hebrews 4.11 says this. Let us therefore strive to enter the rest that no one may fall by the same sort of obedience. Here's what I would say to you this morning. I'm just going to ditch the slides. They're frustrating me. That God knows you. Hebrews 4.13 says that God knows you. Before God right now, you're wearing a shirt, you think, but you're naked and exposed to him. He sees you. He wants to speak to your heart. Hebrews 4.12 says. He wants to get at the places that, that nothing else and no one else can get to. He's able to cut to your heart. And actually bring hope and rest. And if you receive that rest. If you receive what Jesus did for you. You get God. He'll be your dad. You get his life eternally. You get his family. You get his spirit. And you get his rest. Hebrews 4.9. Jordan, if you want to throw that up there, that would be really helpful. But Hebrews 4.9 says this. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. So how do we remain in this rest? How do we remain? I know, I know you're getting fidgety, all right? We went a little bit long, started late, had a video, all that. Just bear with me a few more minutes, okay? 
How do we remain in this rest? I think this is extremely important. Hebrews 3, 12 and 13 says this. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. How do we remain in his rest? Four things, and I'll be quick. Number one, be suspect of your own heart. Your heart doesn't always have good intentions. How do you remain in, in this rest? you realize that, that my heart is leaning towards going astray from God. My heart is for rescuing myself. My heart is for doing things that are opposite of what God actually wants. Don't use your heart as a barometer. Your heart is not the barometer of what's right. God's heart is. So we need to be suspect of ourselves. Ask ourselves, do, do I really have good intentions in this? Do, do I really want for the fame of King Jesus to move forward? Or do I want to destroy that person and uplift myself? Or destroy myself? How do we remain in this rest? Secondly, care for your heart. Flood your heart with the word of God. Flood your heart with the word of God. I don't know how to say this lightly. You can't have a vibrant relationship with God without actually being in the word of God. You can't. You can't hear from God without hearing from God. You can't. Many of us try to, to pull on our religious pants, right? Once in a while, on a Sunday morning, and feel good about this. But it's not a vibrant relationship with God. Some of you feel like you don't have a vibrant relationship with God because you don't have a vibrant relationship with God. The way to care for your heart is to flood it with the word of God. Let it pierce you. You say, that's offensive. Good. Let the Bible offend you. Let Jesus offend you because that part is offensive to him. And he's gonna change that part anyway. So you might as well just let him because he will in the end win. He will get your heart to look exactly like his. Live an unhidden life with God. Be willing to confess things. Repent, which means turn from the things you're pursuing and turn back to him. The other day, uh, my, my youngest daughter locked herself in the room. I was driving home and my wife calls me and says, she locked herself in the room. It's the one stinking door that we don't have a key for. It's the last night we're, we're at our place. We're moving. So I'm thinking break through the window, right? I've done that before in our house, not illegally, okay? Uh, break through the window. It's like, ah, window's locked. Can't do that. Ugh, okay. So this means that I'm going to have to kick down the door and repair it the last night that we're at our stupid place that we just sold. And I prayed this. Jesus, why are you doing this to me? No joke. I'm on the 40. First of all, why are there so many stinking cars on the 40. Second, why are you doing this to me? Don't you know that like I'm at my limit? I don't know how to repair a door, first of all. Uh, second of all, just speak to my daughter now. Miraculous one who can part the seas. Speak to my daughter now and say, just turn it like that, dear. Right? That's all you have to do. I'm not asking you to raise anyone from the dead. Just asking you to do this. Right? Didn't happen. I was furious with God. Furious. And you're like, you're so immature. I know, I know, but so are you. 
all right? Uh, but I'm thinking like, oh, this is nuts. And so yesterday as I'm preparing this, I, I got to confess, God, I put you to the test. I said, if you're really God, you will unlock that door. If you're really God, you will help my daughter to walk out and I won't have to be troubled to learn how to fix a door, right? So the beauty is that I can care for my heart. I can confess that and be right with God. God doesn't hold that against me. We're free to do this. Third, how do we remain in his rest? I said, be suspect of your heart, care for your heart. Third, doubt the promises of sin. Sin is deceitful. Sin can't make good on its offer. Sin will not make you healthier, fitter, better eternally. It won't. It can't. It doesn't have the power. It will lead you away from the living God. So you're going to have to preach. You're going to have to be a preacher. All of you are. You have to preach against the promises of sin. Romans 8.13 says, be killing sin or sin is going to kill you. You're going to have to be big in the pulpit of your everyday life and say you're a liar. And you might get the crazy looks because I've done this walking in the sidewalk before I forget. It's not appropriate to talk to yourself in public. But like I'm believing lies and I say it out loud because it's not true that you're going to have to become a preacher against the promises of sin. And they're subtle. They're subtle. In a moment of anger, you're going to hear this. So you're going to have to be ready all the time, in season and out of season, to preach. And lastly, to exhort one another every day. Exhort one another every day. You're going to need people in your life. We call these change groups, groups of two or three, men or women, who are constantly coming together. And this is what I say, right? And I wrote it down. Don't let me believe the lies of sin. Don't let me walk off a cliff. Don't let me fail to enter rest. Don't let me chase a proverbial tail. Uh, Don't let me pursue anything other than Jesus. This is what I want the people in my change group to not let me do. And I'm committed to the same thing. Right? Don't let me do these things because I won't see clearly. Help me fix my eyes on Jesus. Help my heart to be at rest because a rested heart knows who God is, what he's done and who I am because of it. So let me end with this. Are circumstances in your life now hardening your heart? Is your heart hardened against God? You hear this good news and you're like, ah, I can't really listen to this. Then I wanna pray that God breaks you now and that your heart explodes with joy for him. I want for those of us who've been pursuing busyness of the wrong things to pursue rest, of him. And what rest looks like is yes, vacation, yes, naps, yes, days off, yes, as many hours of sleep as you need. But it also means that you can work really, really hard and not feel like you need to control all the results because you're working inside of the rest of God. And he's going to do what he has purposed to do before the foundations of the earth. So this promise is for you today. It's for you today that you can rest in the work that he has done. So let me pray. God, I I even feel hurried right now. But you promise rest to us. You promise rest to our souls that, that are weary. If any of us are feeling weary today, you promise rest to them. Would we take it? Would we take it? Would we not show you how good we are and how worthy we are of this? Would we just take it because you're offering it? Lord, for those of us who our hearts have become hardened by the circumstances in our, in our lives, would you break those now? 
Would you, would you allow for us to, to, to feel and experience you again? Would you let the good news of the fact that we've been rescued by you to, to be balm to our souls? Would you allow for it to be like water to a parched throat? Would you allow for it to be a feast to, to someone who has, has been famished? Would you allow for it to be the moving truck that adopts and welcomes in the orphan to someone today? Would you allow for, for people who are running away from you to be brought in to your family today? Lord, we love you. We need you. We're, we're eager for you to move and eager for you to work. And so would you do whatever work you need to do this morning? Amen.